This is Mike Madrid. And this is Gregory Rodriguez. We're your hosts for Americanata, where we'll be exploring the intersection of race, class, culture, and politics during a time of extraordinary change. We'll be thinking out loud and processing what's on our minds as we go, unfiltered. And we're looking forward to you joining us for this discussion as we explore how we got to this tumultuous moment in the United States. Welcome back, everybody, listeners, Gregory. Great hey, to bud. see you. Looking forward to this conversation. We've got some good topics I want to cover today. All right. Um, the issue, issue one, is this pronouncement made by Rick Santorum at a Young Republicans confab, which seems to have kind of lit up the internet, at least for a day. Maybe it's already forgotten, but I thought it was rather profound in its candidness and a little bit um, shocking in its um, clarity. Um, I want to read the quote, and then I want to have you respond to it. And I think most people, most listeners probably know or are familiar with the quote. If you're following anything on social media and Rick Santorum lately, there's a number of calls for his job at CNN saying this has got to stop. He's taken it too far. But here's, 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 a, here's a segment of the quote, and I'm going to read it. Again, this is Rick Santorum, and he's speaking about American culture and American exceptionalism. Quote, we came here and created a blank slate, Santorum contended. We birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but candidly, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. It was born of the people who came here pursuing religious liberty to practice their faith to live as they ought to live and have the freedom to do so. And it goes on and on, but I think this is really the most salient part of what uh, Santorum was, was postulating to these young conservatives um, as he was kind of laying the foundation for what America is. And you know, from this springs forth the idea of American virtue and American exceptionalism. So what, did you hear this? Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I, I, I saw it and I thought, wow, what a perfect crystal clear distillation of everything most Americans are taught in elementary to high school. It was actually just this, this, this thing about it. It's, 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 this is a clean slate. It was a place where time started again. It was a place where everything was new. And as I read American history, uh, there's two things that were really salient. Um, one, he also, this is also gives you what, tells you what whiteness is. His Santorum's dad was born in Italy and came in 1930, mm. right? Of course, <laughs> right? Number one. So he, we, we built this, which is, which is great that people come and, 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 and glom onto the national history, but I'm not sure anybody who doesn't identify as white can do, do it quite the same as he did. So I just want you to ponder one thing. 1783, the Treaty of Paris, uh, the document by which Britain says we lost, the document that declares the United States of America, America, a, a country, right? That document seeds land between the Appalachians and the Mississippi River that was not inhabited by Americans, by European Americans. It was Native American land. So think about this. The treaty that created the United States, gave them land that they didn't own. 
because those Native American tribes were not defeated. They were not conquered in no way. By the way, they were completely not even, they were not even uh, uh, consulted in this process. Most of these Native Americans at some point were fighting against the American revolutionaries. So, and the British sold them out at the treaty table. So think about this. So the United States then begins with this sense that they own all the land that someone else that, that they didn't own. And so then the, the, the first years of the Republic then, well, so, so therefore this, this, this Republic was then simultaneously born and as an empire. So they, they were then, different leaders had different strategies, but then they were gonna take over the land that the British deeded to them, if you, if you will, uh, that they didn't own. So they figured out how to do it, some through violence, some through individual frontiermen making their way in the United States claiming it with them, um, and some of it through sort of the, the, the process of, of, of civilizing and getting people dependent on monies that, and, and, and badly written treaties with people who didn't necessarily have the right to the land that they were signing away. So this is an, one of the most remarkable facts of American history, that the Treaty of Paris ceded land that did not include the colonies of the United States, the states, the, the new states. What was the purpose of that? The purpose of that is that the, the European Empire believed that the, the British Empire believed that it was they theirs. everything. Yeah, they just hadn't been theirs. there yet. But this is where we're going to go, and we'll give it to you in advance. We'll give it. We're, we're fronting this. Well, to you. It, well, it, it, the, the, the partly they felt they owned it because they de, they did they, they they defeated the French over it in the French Indian War, which ended in 1763. But the but they didn't. They never conquered it. But it was just just so that striking. The fact the, Repu the Republic was born an empire. George Washington called it an infant empire. Jef uh, Thomas Jefferson called it an empire of liberty. So they used the word empire. And this notion that it's a clean slate, that we, we I mean, this is a virgin birth this dude's talking about. <laughs> we birthed huh. an Ario. And, and but hmm. so, so what happens then in the construction of American history and the teaching of it, so this, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this wrong. I'm sure that a famous uh, dead historian, uh, I think it was Richard Hofstadter, called America the only country that was ever born in perfection, and then settled for progress. I mean, it was a, so. Hmm. So then all the all the histories then that came later sort of fed into this notion uh, of this virgin birth, if you will. So hence the the, the erasure of Native Americans, hence the erasure of of African Americans. Um, and that was built into the exceptionalism. Part of the exceptionalism is mission that we are we are here, but we're going there. We we are the the world begun anew. We are the 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 first of the many democratic uh, 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 revolutions that are going to free humanity. So so by by the by the by 1800, the the sense the the, the American sense of self uh, became about it's representing humanity's freedom, right? It was always bigger than you somehow. And so this country had this ego even before it was birthed, this sense of its purpose, right? <clears throat> and, and when you have a country like that, you bury and you sweep under the rug all the things that don't fit the, the myth. 
So we've been dealing, we talked about this in other podcasts and the, the Amanda Gorman speech or the, or the rhetoric, the presidential rhetoric use of Benny, the arc of justice. And there is this mythopoetic aspect of this country that led to the erasure of, of non-whites uh, from the very beginning. And Santorum is literally just saying what everybody was taught. Do you think, why do you think it's caught wildfire like this? Because it, it is, this is not, I mean, this is what we've been taught for 250 years, what I was taught. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I, it, yeah, it just is. The, it's a good question. Um, the climate, uh, the climate of attacking people for everything. I mean, um, hey, I don't care if Rick Santorum was attacked. Let me, let me just put it that way. But it, I don't know. It just coming out of him, it came, it just, it, it sounded, when people say it and you're, you know, to a fifth grader, it may sound sort of lofty. The way he said it was sort of smarmy. Uh, and I think it was just, it was, it, it, it captured the actual feeling of thought that this country birthed itself and, oh yeah, they're Native American. Oh, but they don't count. But that's really literally what we all learn. Native American identity, we <laughs> talked a little bit about this as it was kind of unfolding is actually, there's a lot of influence in American culture and the way that we look at the con conquered people, right? Well, there's generally, so, America, when America was founded, there was no American identity, right? So it was the founding of 13 states. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the country had to build an identity after the fact. And that's one of the big complications. That, that explains a lot of the fragility of American identity. It explains, yeah, why the, you know, why it's, you know, why it, it, it reacts so badly to being attacked, for instance. Um, <clears throat> um, so, so, in the, so, so in the first instance, when you're fighting um, your home country or the, the fighting Britain, you don't find comfort or you don't rally around that identity, right? You're leaving that identity. So there, there was this aspect of uh, European Americans adopting, consciously adopting Native American uh, motifs and identities, right? The Boston, the Boston Tea Party, they were addressed as Native Americans when they went into the Bay. Um, you heard of Tammany Hall. Tammany was a, a Lenape Indian. The, the Tammany Hall was sort of like an Indian, Native American themed social club. Very few people know that. It started with, with and so, so there was this sense of distinctiveness that, and what was distinctive about the European Americans from the British was their experience with the Native Americans and their experience with nature. And particularly as the people went into the frontier, as Euro-Americans went into the frontier, they started to adopt moccasins. They started to dress like Native Americans. They fought the wars. They fought the, they fought the American Revolution like Native. They, they used scalping. They used other techniques. Um, they, they, you know, the, when you, the other thing you learn in, in fifth grade, uh, I'm saying, I think fifth grade is in California is, is California history. So it's probably the wrong grade, but is how the, the American, remember the American soldiers had an advantage because the Brit, the red coats were all in line and yeah. old school because the Americans fought like native Americans. Right. So you did learn that. They probably yeah. didn't say that. Right. But they said they, they, they fought more guerrilla style. Guerrilla right? tactics. Where do they right. learn that? Learn from the Indians. Right. So the first, in the first instance, there was this embrace of, their distinctiveness from Britain. And so there was always this element that was, that was always around. There's this wonderful book by this Harvard historian, uh, 
Phil Deloria called Plain Indian. And this is the very notion of Plain Indian that, that just explores all of this up to the present, up to like how, how Americans, discontented white Americans can, can, can draw on Native American identity or what, it, what, or what they imagine it to be. But then back, but back to the origin of the country. So, but then as America, um, the Euro-America pushes West, then the Native American is really the, 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 the other it is the the other that uh, around which you identify uh so the 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 european americans who saw themselves let's say I, i'm very familiar with sort of western pennsylvania history at this point so you're swiss you're german you're german lutheran you're german uh, uh you're your amish or mennonite or whatever you th those many many identities that live in the they actually began to come together and call themselves white it, to contrast themselves as they increasingly fought the Indians. So it was an organizing principle to white identity and American identity, Native Americans. So it's, there's a brilliant historian, forgive me, I don't know if he's alive, so I don't mean to say anything, James Axtell. I, I, I read people, I don't know if they're alive. Sorry, Mr. Axtell, I think he's a, <laughs> but he wrote a, he actually wrote this essay, a thought piece on what would America, colonial America have been without Native Americans. Isn't that intense? It is. And, and he's not, he's, he thinks that the whole notion of what are your contributions is, a, it's kind of a silly trope, but like, oh, what did you bring to the table? I didn't, it's like, you know, what did you bring to the potluck? He just said, he, he in a nutshell argues that America's sense of victimhood, America's sense of chosenness, America is, is very much uh, born of European Americans on the East Coast struggling with Native Americans, which is just absolutely intense. Well, it gets back to Santorum, I think, in some ways, right? And there's a couple of questions that that the statement actually, I think, does bring about. One, I think the immediate reaction is to kind of say, here's list one through 5,000 of all the things that Native American culture, where it existed right. and how it influenced. And that, that yeah. is an important discussion. But what I'm fascinated by is again, this idea that time began essentially with, in his terminology, the, the birth of, of the nation, the birth of this nation, is we, we try to disregard all of it. We don't add on top of it. We don't talk about the melting pot back then, right? And the melding of, of culture and lives and society because it clearly was happening. We have an Indian on top of the U.S. Capitol building, as was pointed out to me, right? right? The presence yeah. of, of Native Americans is literally on top of, of, right. of Congress. So it's not that it wasn't there. It's the perspective that the perfect, the, a perfect union was birthed when we, 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 Americans slash white Europeans, I'm saying we very mm -hmm. charitably, arrived here to fulfill some sort of human destiny. Right. It's a myth. Yeah. Yeah. And most, and by the way, it's not even true that people came for, most people came for religious freedom. Certainly the, 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 the Puritans were not known for their allowing other people to practice their religions. People, Pennsylvania had a hundred years of religious freedom, uh, uh, literally uh, opting to provide that. I believe Rhode Island did, but most people came to the United States to the, to the early colonies, but for like most people do, they come for land, they came for opportunity. They came to escape. Looking so, for a job, man. But the, even that- even that, <laughs> even that is a complete exaggeration. The 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 the, the mythopoetic 
language we use to talk about this country is is almost cultish and and uh and maybe we're at the point and but we don't know how to you know that's why we watch uh that's why we have inauguration so we can get a new injection every four years right so um we don't know it, it how does, to it does feel it. like the blowback on Santorum is kind of an unraveling of a myth, right? It's kind of this is the mythical make America great again, the America of yesteryear, the America of our forefathers, the America of the 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 um the American mythology of us being kind of the end of the human Yeah, but but we don't know how to replace it, I don't think. Right. I mean, we've been... and, and that's that's what I was gonna say. That's actually a really important point, is we haven't really thought beyond it other than to recognize that hey wait maybe this is all a bunch of bullshit at least if it's not bullshit you know in its entirety it's bullshit for a hell of a lot of americans who are going i don't not only relate to this but this has not been my experience right i mean this is all set up for something totally different right i mean the, the 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 country that was led the fight toward the freeing of all humanity at slaves. And so we talk about it as paradox. And the way we, I think the way we deal with it is again, this progress that again, the, the Amanda Gorman talk that, that it's essentially that we have the map, but we've, we, we just, you know, we just got a flat tire on the way to the road. That's the way we make ourselves feel better. Right. So we, we, it's again, born, born in perfection, but settling for progress. So we say, well, we're not perfect, but, we our, our documents are perfect and our strivings, our hearts are perfect. Declaration of Independence starts in just watch such wonderful words. So I think we, we our our balm and the way we get through the paradox is to say, well, we're gonna get there, right? It's an imperfect, it's imperfect, and we're on our way. We're still working on it. But there's something uh, virtuous about that though, isn't there? No, nah, I think I call it that's like something that's like, I don't know. It's it's um it's uh, doesn't religion it's, doesn't religion teach us that too? It, we no. know that the, we know that there are these <laughs> principles and these values that we aspire to, but we also know that we're fallen people and that we're all human no, and we all make this, mistakes. This, and that's no, keep, this, the, it's it, the, the the virtue is in the striving to be better, to be the ideal. You're never going to get there. Fine, right? yeah, good, very good point. Those are constitutions are pretensions, absolutely. But when the entire project started with you know, the, one of the great slaughters of Native Americans was Nodenhuten, Ohio in 1782, I believe. Um, and slaves were quickly brought in part of what the, by the way, the Treaty of Paris does include the need to, to bid, trade, uh, give the, the slaves back to their owners. It did mention slaves, didn't mention Native Americans. So the, the, the extent to which it was wrong at birth, the extent to which it was not perfect at birth is is needs to be dealt with the, ex, the, the extent that is not a paradox maybe maybe is that the perfection did never existed so how how are we supposed to reach this imaginary perfection if we don't acknowledge how corrupted it was at the beginning right and that's what a lot of historians seem to struggle with is it paradox or is it bullshit right hmm. so at a certain point you have the the fancy talk you have the big words, you have the big abstractions, and then then that's put in that's put into practice by lawyers and who well who wrote the words, and then lawyers who legislated. And legislation is not perfection, right? Legislation is not an abstraction, and so at that point, the big ideas give way to interests. Interests were always a part of this, so we still talk about again this this how 
we still talk about politics in terms that it's it's not it's not about horse trading. If we all just calm down and realize it's all imperfect and it's all a product of men and women who are imperfect, great. But we still the, the sacred na- nature of it and the belief in its sacred perfect beginning. Yes, there may be something it keeps us going, but I'm not sure it can last forever or or whether it should. Again, I, I'm a proponent of of realizing. Uh, of of talking about it squarely, not in terms of this is a horrible country, not in terms of, I don't think it's helpful to say it's go from it's saintly to it's evil, but to, and this is the problem with how we talk about everything in America today, right? It's either bad or good, mm-hmm. uh, but to understand the bad within the good, I think it would help any human, uh, individual, community, or nation. Bad and good people, it exists in all of us. How do you reconcile it? How do you fix it? Let's say we acknowledged it. Let's say, you know what? All these people said, okay, you know what? Let's finally be honest about America's founding. It wasn't all, you know, this divinely inspired um, exercise. Yeah, yeah, you know what? There's slavery mentioned and how to deal with it in our founding documents. Yes, the Treaty of Paris gave away land that wasn't really ours. Yes, we've been teaching kids for 250 years that Native American culture either didn't exist or was not meaningful or hasn't really been involved in the fabric of American culture and society. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Uncle, uncle, right. I got yeah. it. I agree with you. Then what? I mean, what do you well, do? Like if, well, if, the whole, if the whole system is predicated on that, is it fixable? Is it reformable? Or do you just got to start from scratch? First of all, I, I love your like summary questions. They're great. And I, I, I hate having to answer them, but I like hearing them. But number one, that's how our education system works now, which is you learn the myth in, in elementary and you go to college and learn to bust them. It's kind of boring. Right. Hmm. So we are, you go to college and say, Oh my God, George Washington was a land speculator. Jeez. You know, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think, um, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think making them again, this goes back to the fragility of American identity and the fact that it had to be created after the fact that, that we sanctify the founders in the first place. Um, You, you gotta think that the sanctification came because there was nothing else to build on it because people's loyalties were too state they were to locale right so maybe after 250 years you think you've developed enough actually organic sense of belonging to a nation that doesn't require uh, hocus pocus there are certain things people share particularly you know maybe maybe when people went to the military they shared that uh, but or i mean i mean broad sector cross sectors of america going to the, but but the, the training wheels do I, I don't think it says integral at this point then, then as you're implying, I think Americans can stand on their two feet and say, hey, this is an imperfect nation. Um, and But it, it's just too much part of our political rhetoric, right? It's too much part of- You're a traitor to the nation if you acknowledge our weaknesses. Well, that's what Republicans try to say, right? But uh, there's this wonderful, uh, there's this one brilliant, brilliant historian who, who passed away at UCLA named Joyce Appleby. And I, I read a lecture of hers recently, 1992 to the, like, the Organization of American Historians. And she's talking about what exceptionalism did in, in, in how it really helped bury everything. And she thought in 1992, she said, it's time. That's why we, as women history was, was growing as Latin America and Latinos and African-Americans. So there is room for the texture that doesn't take away from the nation. 
the nation isn't doesn't need to be magic anymore because it exists and it's exists for a long time and validating the histories of the many peoples who lived in it is not counter to the spirit of the nature nation right it's not counter why does it, why is it why are so many people threatened by it why does Santorum have to get up there and say that that <laughs> way and great. teach the next generation I don't know maybe I mean we I learned a lot in talking to you about this like we're talking about conservatism not conserving anything right and he's conserving a myth right <laughs> so maybe so his conserve his version of conservatism is is conserving what he learned in fifth grade I, that, that may be it right it's just it's just sticking to what you learned first i don't know yeah i mean look once you want look there is something scary as human beings is when you start to unravel certain things or come to some realizations reality hits and that's not fun learning that santa claus isn't real is difficult right or that you know your your parents were were real people they're you know that they're imperfect and they're flawed i mean those are they're they're a little bit you know I don't, I, I think in America it is because it's, again, it's based on a, it's, it's really overarching myth. Uh, but I think, and we discussed before, the myth creates this sense of innocence and victimhood among the, among the white population. It has over centuries. And that has, go, that has contributed to evil in the world. Any, anybody who thinks they're, they are righteous, fully righteous because of their victimhood, what of any race is going to do harm and Americans have, have played victim and powerful at the same time. And because of this innocent sense of having saving the world. And I, I, I think it's kind of gross, dude. I think we can live without it. We can be proud of other things. We can be proud of actually, um, yeah, we are proud of other things, right? Americans like to talk about how, how much philanthropy they bring or, or how much uh, there, there are other things to be proud of that aren't, um, that don't involve um, fantasy. Does it, I don't think do, it's big. I don't think it's as big as a, 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 a conundrum as you might be presenting. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, I think that the reaction was kind of typified something, right? I think it was kind of like there's this blowback where people are saying, "Okay, enough! Like this is clearly not the case." And I do feel that conservatives are increasingly going. We're not. We're not giving any more on these things, right? On a lot of these issues that ah, uh, yeah. Because at a certain point, you once you strip away the mythology of a of a people, are they really a people anymore, right? Do, does a nation require myth? Does well, it, do, it do does. countries require their own stories, their own narrative, their own origin stories? Of course they do, but they can be updated. And again, these myths were created when there what when the country had nothing else. But we have enough shared experience now to say we're about many other things. But let's go back to what you just mentioned. So, so you're implying that conservatives are, are starting to draw lines, right? You just, and so is this what the, the next campaigns are going to be like? Like, stop it, doctor, stop, stop hurting Dr. Seuss, stop no. hurting, stop yeah, hurting, the, stop, stop, stop going after our myths. So this is their level. This is conservatism is now, conservatism is now a stop, stop, stop uh, tearing down the sacred. Is that the news? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good way to put it. That last, that last way is this is, this is inviolate. There is something about Americanness that believes it was divinely inspired. Uh, certainly, certainly on the American right, and I think it's probably even beyond the American. Oh right. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, and so, so once you take away that divinity, 
once you start to show that it's more human than divine, what you, is it? You become right? a nation. You become a nation that no longer thinks that it had a virgin birth. You become a nation like all other nations. Just killing, killing exceptionalism means that you might actually hold yourself accountable. I, you know, Rome held on to Romulus and Remus for a good 2,000 years, right? I, I, and but I'm that's not, true. I'm not, I don't have any evidence Dude, that Romulus true. and Remus were not raised by wolves, but I'm guessing they probably were not. They, no, I, I, I believe it. So, <laughs> so, so that, that was binding. That was binding, right? I don't know, dude. I don't know. I, I just we're we're not. I was looking at the at the. We're watching this this unbelievable German Netflix show called Barbarians. I don't want to get into it, but and they speak Latin, dude. It's the Romans fighting German tribes, and <laughs> it's unbelievable. And I googled it. You know, I Google as I watch TV, and the 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 lifespan of that era of that battle I was watching it was twenty five years. Yeah. I don't think they believe they didn't. They didn't. They didn't have time to ponder the old Ram and the Ream, dude. <laughs> they're, 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 but they're, but the, no. But there there's well no. Look, this is actually. I think this is actually a really important point, because what compels people to go to war? I, this is one. This is one thing that I've always been fascinated by. I've read a, read a lot of biographies on on famous generals, famous warriors, conquerors. Is what convinces, like, who has the ability to convince other, largely men, but other people to go and lay down their lives for a country or a nation? And I got to tell you, mythology has to be a really important part of that narrative because it gives you your identity. Of and course. so Romulus and Remus, I, think, I, I, I didn't expect to talk about Romulus and Remus when we started with Santorum today, but I think it is important. I think Dude, it's actually, a, I think I've actually stumbled upon something quite significant here. Just because he's Italian, you're bringing out the Roman. <laughs> right. Dude, this is wrong. Right. right. Dude, I'm canceling you right now. Yeah, no, I will not be canceled. I will not be canceled. And, and so, but, 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 but no, 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 no. I, I have a point to make and I, I'm going to, I'm going to make it. And I, that is this, I think that deconstructing mythology unwinds the fabric that holds the people together. And I believe that there's, there is something virtuous about, about the concept of your nation having divine inspiration so long as it's not at the you know to the detriment of any other people too unfortunately divine inspiration and using god on your side usually leads to that's, hurting that, other people so that's a fair that's a problem that's why i paused that's why i paused and was really <laughs> methodical that's why i was very I wanna, filtered I end, in my discussion i want to i want to end this conversation with your thought okay the unwind unwrapping or unwinding it is it's potentially hurtful and it needs to be done carefully. Can we agree on that? Yes. That it's, it's not, it's not, it, they may be frivolous, uh, these myths on many levels, but many people attach themselves to them. Uh, but it's, it, it, and so therefore it can be done, but probably carefully. Well, I think we're doing it, whether it's careful or not, right? And we're just going to have to see how it unfolds. I don't but. think it, I don't think it's the, the future of any nation is going to be built on Twitter or reconstructed. So, no, I don't think we're doing it. But um, uh, a, 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 from a responsible, well-respected source on many sides of the nation, forget two sides, no, that's not happening.
Rick Santorum, thank you. <laughs> it's been a great discussion. Gregory, good talking to you. Take care, bud. Bye. Thanks again for visiting with Gregory Rodriguez and Mike Madrid on this episode of American Atta. If you've enjoyed the discussion, please help us out, share, review, and give us five stars. We'll talk to you next episode.